Our good word today, once again, is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We were talking last time about this young man, Timothy. Timothy was Paul's son in the faith, and he was very dear unto him. Timothy the son was one to Jesus Christ through the apostle Paul. Then Timothy the son became Timothy the servant. He took John Mark's place to assist the apostle Paul in his ministry. Now, Paul says something about Timothy over in Philippians chapter 2 that is just simply wonderful. I want to read it to you. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. You know, Timothy is a great example of what you and I ought to be in our ministries. Uh, The Apostle Paul couldn't do everything by himself. No preacher can. You know, every pastor, every evangelist has to have those who work with him. Paul had his Barnabas, Paul had his Silas and his Timothy. Then Barnabas took John Mark, and he went out and ministered. Later on, John Mark was associated with the apostle Peter. It's not good for a man to be alone, either in in life or in labor. And so he said, I'm going to send Timothy, our brother, he was a saved man, the minister of God, the servant of God, and our fellow laborer. That word fellow is a great word. It means to have in common, fellowship, to have in common, fellow laborer fellow soldier, this fellowship in the ministry of the Word of God. Now, what was there about Timothy that made him the ideal man to help other people learn how to stand? Some people can't do this. There are some Christians in our churches who are much better at causing people to fall over. They're stumbling blocks. What was there about Timothy that made him so effective in his ministry? Well, he tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Timothy cared for people. That's a great word, care. The psalmist says, no man cared for my soul. The story of the Good Samaritan is an illustration of how people don't care for other people. Some years ago, perhaps you'll recall, this lady in New York City being pursued by a man with a dagger And some 38 people watched as he pursued her and killed her, and they did nothing about it. Now, Timothy had a natural concern for other people. He naturally cared. You know, you can't teach people how to stand unless you care for them. I think church members can tell whether or not the pastor cares for them. It disturbs me the way some pastors and evangelists and Sunday school teachers don't care for people. They scold people mercilessly, and they... They're mean to people. They don't love their people. Oh, how important it is that we who are serving the Lord love our people, not use them for something that we want to do. That's a terrible thing to use people for our own selfish purposes, but to serve our people. And now this is difficult, I know. There are times when we wish we could have a little time off and just take it easy, but we can't and we shouldn't. We should be instant in season and out of season. And this is the kind of fellow Timothy was. He was a fellow laborer who naturally cared for other people. He served the Lord because he cared. May I ask you this? If you serve the Lord, do you do it because you care? 
Do you love your Sunday school class members? Do you pray for them? Are you naturally concerned about them? Do you visit because you want to or because you have to? Do you teach because you want to or because you have to? Do we do what we do because our hearts make us do it or because we have to do it? You see, Paul was this kind of a person. Paul said in verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians 3, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. Now, nobody wants to be alone. There are many times in my ministry I've had to be alone, sometimes for for many days at at a time, alone in the ministry, away from loved ones and friends. Why do we do this? Because we have to? Of course not, because we want to. Because in our hearts there is that yearning and that desire to serve the Lord. And may the Lord help us to be more faithful. I'm afraid there's too much selfishness in my own life. I don't naturally care as I ought to care. And I trust the Lord will help me to grow. Now, one way that God has of establishing people in the faith is to send them a man. The importance of Christians ministering to one another to build one another up in the faith. Before I leave this theme, I want to ask you this question. Are you helping other people stand? The last time you heard of some Christian who fell and perhaps doesn't come to church anymore, what did you do about it? You say, well, I'm not an officer in the church. You don't have to be an officer to have a ministry. If God is your Savior and Jesus Christ is your Lord, you can help other people stand. Oh, how important this is. I don't know how big your church is, but chances are it's too big for one man to take care of. I could no more begin to pastor all of the people at Calvary Baptist Church than I could swim the ocean. I cannot do it alone. This is why I thank God for our godly deacons and trustees and Sunday school superintendents and teachers and staff members. And I thank God, too, for our everyday members who help other people to stand. So he sent them a man. Then he wrote them a letter. In verses uh, 3 through uh, Uh, 8, he says this, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. Now, if you read the Bible, you discover that the Word of God teaches us how to stand. Over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, when Paul wrote another letter to them, he said this, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 15, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions, the teachings, which ye have been taught, whether by word, that is public preaching, or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation or strength and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Now the word of God establishes us. The Christian who knows the Word of God is not going to be led astray by false teaching. Now, I can't, because we're on the radio, name these false teachings. Uh, I'd be real happy just to give you a list of, of things to watch out for, but I can't because there are regulations about this. But you ought to talk to your pastor before you read those magazines. You ought to check with your pastor, your Sunday school teacher, before you accept those books at the front door, before you follow that radio preacher. You check it with the word of God. That no man should be moved, Paul wrote them the word of the living God. You know, over in Romans chapter 16, when Paul got to the end of that very wonderful book that is so filled with Bible doctrine, in Romans 16, 25, he says this, Now unto him 
that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. That's just Paul speaking. And the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret before the world began. Paul says those who understand his gospel are going to be established. Now, we have not gone into this in great detail, but you know, if you read your Bible carefully, you'll find out that Paul teaches us some things that you won't find from Peter or Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. The Apostle Paul was God's chosen vessel to minister to the church. And if you don't understand what Paul's talking about with reference to the church, you'll never be established. For example, Paul makes it very clear that the church is not Israel. The church is a very special body of believers that has no connection whatsoever with the nation of Israel. God has two programs in this world, his program for the nation of Israel and his program for the church. His program for the nation of Israel is revealed openly in the Old Testament. It's the prophecy program. His program for the church is revealed only in Paul's epistles. This is what he calls the mystery, the hidden secret that God has now revealed, that believing Jews and believing Gentiles belong to one body, which is the church. A person will never be established unless he knows what the church is. What is God doing today? Is God cleaning up the world? No, he's not. Is God trying to run the governments of the world through the church? No, he isn't. Why has God called preachers to, to politic, to lobby up in Washington? No. God's program is given to us over in Acts chapter 15. And it's through the ministry of the Apostle Paul that this program was finally revealed and established to the church. In Acts chapter 15 and in verse 14, Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. That's what God's doing today. And if you know that and you're a part of this, you'll be established. Then after this, says verse 16, he will return and build again the tabernacle of David, that is the nation of Israel and the Jewish kingdom. So the word of God establishes people. Now in verse 3, Paul says, you yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. We are appointed to afflictions. Please don't be surprised when affliction comes. Everybody goes through affliction. Abraham did. God no sooner called Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12 when a famine came to the land. He went through trouble. Moses went through affliction. Spent 40 years out there in the, in the desert waiting for God's further call. When he led the people of Israel through the wilderness, all they had was affliction. Joshua went through affliction, David did, the prophets did, Jesus did. Paul says it is given unto you on the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him but to suffer for his sake. Suffering is the appointed part of the Christian life. Notice the word Paul uses, we are appointed. We don't go through suffering by accident. We go through suffering by appointment. This is why Peter says over in 1 Peter chapter 4 that we Christians are not supposed to be surprised. 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partaker of Christ's sufferings. Jesus said, They have persecuted me, they'll persecute you. They've called me a devil, they'll call you the same thing. If the world hates you, Jesus said, don't be surprised, because the world hated me. Now the devil's lies always unsettle people. 
The devil's lies always have a way of unsettling people, but the truth of the word of God always establishes us. Verse 4, For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. Paul didn't lie to these Christians. He said, look, friends, you're new Christians now. You're just born again. You've only been saved a few short weeks. I've been nurturing you, but one of these days you've got to stand on your own two feet. Trouble is going to come. The winds of affliction are going to blow. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith. That's important. It is faith that causes us to stand. Lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. You see, Satan is the enemy of our faith. If he can get us to doubt God, then we're going to topple over. We'll not be able to stand. That's why he said to Eve, Yea, hath God said? Can you really believe the word of God? And Eve said, No, I guess I can't believe the word of God. And she listened to the devil's lie, and she fell. Now, this can happen to you and me. Affliction comes. Satan knows how to persecute us and bring affliction. When trouble comes... If we look at our troubles, we'll fall. If we listen to the devil's lies when he says, oh, the Lord can't love you or you wouldn't be going through this. If some Christian rubs you the wrong way, you're hurt by something. The devil says, see, it's no good to be a Christian. They don't know how to act. Well, if you listen to the devil's lies, you'll fall over. Your faith will be in vain. But if you listen to God's truth, you'll never be able to fall, but you'll stand on the sure word of the living God. This is Pastor Warren Wiersbe at Calvary Baptist Church in Covington, Kentucky. The program is What's the Good Word? I trust that our good word today has been an encouragement to you, and you'll join us again next time in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 on What's the Good Word?